If your brother or sister sins, go and show them their fault when the two of you are alone. If he or she listens to you, you have regained your sister or brother. But if he or she does not listen, take one or two others with you, so that at the testimony of two or three witnesses every matter may be established. If she or he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the gathering. If he or she refuses to listen to the gathering, treat him or her like a Gentile or a tax collector. I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound, will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Again, I tell you the truth, if two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are assembled in my name, I am there among them. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that in this text we are being offered a way of developing and building and repairing community. The bad news, we need a way of developing and building and particularly repairing community. That's just the way it is. We're kind of ordinary. And one of the important messages that Christianity has always tried to keep together is the goodness and the badness of being human, the strengths and the weaknesses. The Bible doesn't shy away in its stories from the idea of human beings having feet of clay. In fact, the idea of feet of clay comes from the Bible. It comes from a vision in the book of Daniel in which a, uh, Daniel sees this enormous statue uh, with a, w w shining and brilliant with a head of gold, a body of silver, and moving on down until feet of clay. And so we know it to be true, and we know that the Bible is full of stories of the greats. David, the greatest king Israel ever had, who was a murderer and an adulterer, and that's all in there. The disciples, the people who established the church, have no idea most of the time in the Gospels what's going on. And when they do know what's going on, they run away. They abandon Jesus. All of those things could have been left out, but they're all in there. And any version of human life that says we're totally depraved, and there's a kind of theological term called total depravity, it's the idea that there is nothing good in us at all, and without God redeeming us through Jesus, nothing would happen. The Bible is not happy with that at all, and neither has the Christian church been. It's not good enough to say that. It doesn't take into account the goodness of God and the blessing of God that is in us all the time. And it doesn't take account of our experience of the world, does it? But at the same time, any version of the world that says there's, everything is wonderful and all we need is better education and the kind of teaching of some of the prosperity gospel churches and particularly sort of tele-evangelists who tell you all you need to do is pray and everything will become yours and it'll be wonderful. I don't know what happens to people who do that and they don't suddenly end up with a Learjet or a new car. Um, I don't know how they feel about it. But we know that's not true either. We've got to have this balance. We, the Bible and the Christian faith has constantly been about telling the truth. 
And when we haven't done that, so many people have left their experience of faith because they've sensed hypocrisy. We've somehow given the message that we're morally upright when we're no different to anyone else. And people who experience that have often seen us as, as hypocrites. But if we're true to it, we're true to our gloriousness and our weakness, our goodness and our badness all the time. And so here's a practical tool to deal with that. And it may come from Jesus, it may come from Matthew's community. We, we don't really know because um, it, it's quite elaborate and Jesus' community was very ad hoc. So it may have been something that developed later and they've sort of written it back into the Gospels. Uh, sorry, into the story uh, when the Gospel was written. But it goes to the issue of sin. If your sister or brother sins... Now, we've got to be really careful because we've grown up, many of us, with the idea that sin is when you do a bad thing. And if you don't do bad things, then you don't sin and everything's fine. And the more you can avoid doing a bad thing, the better your life will be. And I kind of got that impression that, um, that I should do always good things and if I do a bad thing, I should feel sorry and try not to do them again. That may be good. I'm sure my parents would have loved it if I'd have said sorry more often and done less bad things. But... That's not the heart of what Jesus is talking about here at all. They've chosen a specific word for sin, and it's the word that means missing the mark. It comes from the field of archery, where you shoot an arrow at the target, and if you miss it, then you've missed the mark. So it's the idea that um, we're failing. Sin is a failing to be who we were called to be. We could read this first sentence as, if your brother, sister, fails in being who they were created to be, Go and show them their fault when the two of you are alone. Now, if this is the wider view of sin that Jesus is talking about, and I think it is, and I think it's established in other parts of what Jesus says, then we're all in that. We are all failing to be who we are created to be. Sometimes we get a glimpse of who we can be, and it's an extraordinary glimpse. And other times it seems to be veiled in darkness to us. So I, I think this is... It's wrong when it says, if your brother, sister fails. What it should say is, when, or as, or because. Like, this is just the way it's going to be for all of us. Not if. Now, you know, that's what the text says, but I think it's just hoping for the best. But it's not. That we're just, that's where we all are. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 3, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's using the same word in the same way. He's thinking of the arrow, not making it. All of us, that's just all of us. That's the way the world is. We are called to be the glory of God, to be glorious human beings, to be as creation was, where God looked at it and everything was good. We should be shining. And we do sometimes. We mostly don't. At least, I don't know how it is for you, but my shining moments are few and far between. Uh, and, and, the, and when I get them, they don't last for very long because something happens to me and I suddenly fall in a heap again. We're all in this together. So this changes the whole dynamic of this text, I think. Because when it says, go and show him or her their fault when the two of you are alone together, it isn't then... It isn't then sort of uh, pointing things out to them uh, on a list of what you should be doing and, you know, there's a graph here, this is where you should be and this is where you are and I'm showing you the difference. First of all, I know that. 
I, I really, I know. And you think, like I put on a pretty good show about how I am when I come here on Sunday. Most of us do. That's how we are with each other. But I know a lot more bad things about me than you do. And you might know some really bad things, but I know even worse ones. You know, like, that's not the way it goes. If we look at it really closely, it says, go and show him. First it says, go. It doesn't say, command the person to come to you like the boss carpeting you when you've done something wrong in front of a big desk. You go. Go to where they are. Go to their turf. Go where they're comfortable, into their space. You're not calling them to account. You're not calling them to, into the office. You're just going to where they are. And then it says, go and show them their fault when you are alone. It's just the two of you. It's intimate. And you can start to be honest about each other. But when you're together, you can start to say, not here's where you've gone wrong, but here's where I'm lost. This is where I don't know what to say or do. This is where I'm not sure what to believe anymore. And that invites, as you are honest, that invites the other person to say, oh, I'm glad you said that because I've been feeling terrible this last week and, and I'm not sure why. And suddenly you are showing each other the fault, not pointing it out, but showing because I'm showing the fault in me, which allows you to show the fault in you. There's a vulnerability we have with each other. It's a totally different thing than some kind of mechanistic calling people in, telling them what's wrong and expecting them to fix it up. But of course it says if your brother or sister sins and much of the time in the life of church we are not each other's brother and sister. We're not in each other's lives in that intimate way. I don't, you, you, we haven't deserved in a sense the right to be that honest and intimate with each other. We have to open be open to that and work to that. And, you know, we're a, a largest group of people even here today. It's not possible to be that intimate with each other. Some of us are very close. Some of us in here are very close and know things about each other's lives that, that we don't know about other people because we've been open and honest. And others of us, we're, we're acquaintances. And that's fine. But this is talking about that intimate relationship, the willingness we have to be open and vulnerable to them, allowing them to be open and vulnerable to us. And if we're not there, we have to get there first, I think. We have to first be the brother, sister, then we get to tell each other the truth. Because I have to be able to trust you before I'm going to tell you anything about how it really feels to be me on, a, the, on some occasions. I used to have a mentor who would ask the question frequently, who knows what life is like for you? It's a very powerful question. And there have been times in my life where nobody knows what life is like for me because even the people I love and live with, we've lost touch with each other because we've been busy or we've been angry or we've been sick or something. And at, the, at this point in time, nobody knows what it is to be me. And it could be because I've closed myself up and been unwilling to share with them, even though they would be open to hearing it. And I've met people in my life for whom there is no one who knows what life is like for them, and they don't think there is anyone who would be interested in knowing. It's a very powerful question. So it's a closeness that's being asked for here. And it's about showing. And if that doesn't work, the two of you alone together, being open and vulnerable, then get more people. 
And if that doesn't work, then get the whole gang. The word church, which is, is contested actually, it's, it's translated in, in uh, some of the, uh, of the English translations as church, sometimes it's gathering. No one's quite sure exactly what it means because Jesus, of course, didn't have a structure like we've got. And Matthew's community, 50 or so years later, didn't really have the kind of structure we've got. So it's a difficult word, but it's the gang, it's the gathering, it's all the people who are part of what we're doing. So if get more people, if that doesn't work, get the whole group. God, it's hard work, isn't it? It'd be a lot easier just to tell people to do the right thing and then get them to shut up and get on with it. I banged on about the Uniting Church a, a couple of weeks ago. This is how the Uniting Church has tried to structure itself, to talk about it all the time, over and over again. It drives us mad. It drives me crazy. We go to meetings and we talk and we talk and we talk and we listen and we listen and we listen and we don't resolve anything. We have to come back and do it again. But the alternative, of course, is somebody takes charge and we decide and a lot of people get disenfranchised. So I, while I don't like it, particularly if we're trying to decide something I think is important and we're not getting there, I don't think I want the alternative. I want to be a part of that. So it's going to be hard work. So this text says the way you deal with sin, with people missing the mark, is you get more people who are missing the mark and you get them all to listen to each other. We are the ones called to do this. Not somebody outside of us, not a perfect person, not a boss, not a wise person, not a, a, a moral person, just us. And if one of us isn't enough, then let's get a couple more. If that's not enough, then mobs of us. It's us that's being called to it. We're the ones, all the ones of us who are missing the mark, like these blokes dragging the, uh, the barge up the Volga. Just ordinary people are being called. We are the ones which is just extraordinary when you think about it. Surely there's a better system than having people like me involved in all of this. The thing's going to go crazy if it's someone like me or a mob of people like you. It's, this is nuts, but that's what we're being called to. You can see a sense where, where there's this strong belief that God is present in amongst the community which is why the Uniting Church constantly tries to get consensus because somehow God is going to speak through all of us together. There's an old um, adage about um, evangelism from D.T. Nile, a Sri Lankan preacher who's long dead now, but he always said um, evangelism or telling people about the truth of God is one beggar showing another beggar where there's some food. It's really simple stuff. And if that, none of that works, well, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat the Gentiles? He, he healed them. How did Jesus treat the tax collectors? He went to parties with them. In fact, he even had one of them in his inner circle. So if it doesn't work, well, start again. You just keep on going with each other. That's all we've got. That's the exciting thing. How do you treat tax collectors? You have a party with them. How do, you, do we treat each other? Well, we kind of try and stick with each other the best we can. Isn't this so important at the moment in, in the United States where I know people who are on both sides of an incredible divide? How are they going to live together after the election? Because, pray God, there's an outcome and an outcome that people will be able to live with and neither of those things are certain at the moment, but if it, if it happens, 
one side will be disenfranchised or feel left out and the other side will feel vindicated and it's such a divide, how will they learn to live? This is the only way to do it. If that doesn't work, then treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors. Go to parties. Invite them into the inner group. But before that, just go home and have a lie down because this is, this is tough stuff, isn't it? But it's exciting because you and I, ordinary people, these blokes on the wall, we're all called to it. That's what we're called to. So be it.